everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, I am talking with Alex Stetner and Matt McDonald from Powder 7 in Golden, Colorado. This is another Shop Talk episode, and in this edition of Shop Talk, we're really kind of expanding the boundaries of what we tend to talk about in Shop Talk episodes. So there's quite a bit more talk about shop life and where the Powder 7 staff skis and... Yeah, we also bring up this issue of the price of a day pass at ski areas. Now, if you are listeners of reviewing the news over on our Blister podcast, you know that this is a topic that Cody and I have been talking about a good bit this year. And anyway, I kind of wanted to get another perspective with Alex and Matt because they get out to a whole bunch of different ski areas. So we dive into that. You're you're going to hear more about Powder 7. Yes, there will be some gear talk, of course, and there's some other great stuff in this conversation too. Then we've got our crashes and close call segment and of course, what we're celebrating this week. Now, just before we get going, I want to mention two things. Our upcoming Blister Summit. This is our third Blister Summit. This is happening right here in Crested Butte. February 12th through the 16th. And man, the programming for this thing is kind of incredible. So we will include a link to the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode, or you can go to our homepage, blisterreview.com, to get all the information you need about the summit. But my goodness, if you haven't checked this out yet, you need to, because this is going to be one of the best weeks of the entire winter. I promise you, I'm actually going to promise you. So check that out and come join us here in Crested Butte. Now, one other thing, happy hour, the blister happy hour. This is a new live stream that we've got going. It's exclusively for our blister members where blister members can hop on a video call with various blister reviewers and then various industry folk like Matt Manzer or Hoji or ON3P's Scott Andrus. We mix it up. Sometimes it's just us and we're chopping it up with the Blister Reviewed Squad. And sometimes we even invite the industry insiders into happy hour. Our next Blister happy hour is this coming Wednesday, January 18th. And you can go to the Blister Member Clubhouse section of our website to get more details of exactly when we are getting started, maybe who's going to be on, but sometimes people just hop on. So come mix it up with us. It's a really good time. That next Blister Happy Hour will be this coming Wednesday, January 18th. We're probably going to start at 4 or 5 p.m., Mountain Standard Time, and y'all should join us. So that's it. And now let's talk with Alex and Matt of Powder 7. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be here with Matt and Alex from Powder 7. Uh, just to get us started, Alex, would you tell us what is Powder 7? 
<laughs> Good question. Big uh, existential question right off the bat. Mm. Um, Powder 7 is a ski shop. We're here in Golden, Colorado. Uh, we started back in 2007. That's where the 7 comes from. Um, but we're kind of this dual um, e-commerce company and mom and pop ski shop right here in town. So we have a very big online presence, but we also have a full ski shop here in Golden that we do tune skis. We're a full boot fitting shop, custom boot fitting shop. Um, so we're kind of the the total package in one, if you will. The total package. Matt, tell us a little bit about the Powder 7 origin story, aside from, you know, 2007. Yeah, another way to think about that, if that's not uh, magical enough for you, is you could just go with the Powder 7 days a week story. We like to we like to oh. subtext it that way. Uh, but Like an altern- alternate history alternate type history, of thing? Exactly. Uh, they both work. Uh, but yeah, so... Origin story of Powder 7, we take you back to the year 2007. And our founder, uh, co-founder, Jordan Jones, um, moved out to Colorado from the East, avid skier, um, professional triathlete. And after he moved to the Denver area, he saw an opportunity for a web-focused ski shop that would also help local skiers. So he literally started uh, buying like a pair of used skis and then selling it on eBay, making enough money to buy... Two, two pairs of skis and so on and so forth. Um, his wife, Amy, came out, uh, our other co-founder, um, and they ran Powder 7 out of a garage to begin with and then taught themselves to code a website, e-commerce platform, crazy, and then moved to Golden uh, in 2009. And so we've been here in Golden right across from North Table Mountain ever since uh, and growing our space here. But this is where our world headquarters is. Okay, so Alex, back to you. What's your story with Powder 7? How long have you been there? How'd you get there? Yeah, I. Uh, this is my third season with Powder 7. I started back in November 2020, uh, just a couple of weeks before Black Friday. So I kind of got dropped into the mayhem of retail right around then, uh, which is great. Hit the ground running. But I started just working the floor, boot fitting, um, working the emails and the phones, uh, just working with customers and was really, really fun. I was a seasonal employee to start and then got brought on full time. So I was able to stick around during the summer. Uh, We keep staff some staff on during the summer. Uh, We kind of cut hours a little bit just, but it allows us to kind of keep focusing on skis and catch up on other parts of the business and things like that. Um, And we still sell skis year round, which is pretty cool. But I stayed on. And then uh, last season, Matt figured out I had a bit of a background in writing. So he brought me on to help out with the blog and the gear reviews and uh, just a lot of the product content. But um, I was very much just a, a grunt boot fitter for a while. So... Just a grunt boot fitter. That (laughs) is not how we think. That is not how we think of boot fitters around here. Um, You people kind of make the world go round. Yeah, that's true. They make the magic happen for sure. I was uh, hopelessly uh, out of luck with my boots. So it was great to be brought on to get taught all this stuff and figure out my own boot situation too. So, Hmm. Hmm. But these days doing quite a bit of product testing, writing about the gear, that that takes up a good chunk of your time these days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, skiing a lot, which is very, very cool. But yeah, I really like all the nitty gritty gear stuff. So it's fun to get to try skis back to back and try to figure out the differences and then talk to them and explain explain the differences between them. Your turn, Matt. So this is my seventh season. Um, similarly, I started in January 
18, uh, looking for a retail job, (laughs) looking for ski industry. I was working at the college I graduated from in marketing, which was an interesting choice, but we all, we all form our own stories. Um, wanted to get into the outdoor industry in a retail service capacity. So did that came out to Colorado and, uh, did the, (laughs) the grunt work around customer service, um, in the store and on phones and email and everything. Um, and then I guess, each winter that I've then stayed on, I, I left after my first season to do out some other stuff in the summer, came back, and then I've been straight through since then. And I've grown out similarly to what Alex mentioned. Um, I tried to make it known that I, I'm a word nerd, uh, writing, writing major who also likes to ski. So I tried to make that known. And so increasingly wrote about uh, skiing, ski news, ski life, and then gear, product reviews, so on and so forth. And so uh, that really is where my role started, still is really the nexus of my thing until Alex moved into doing a lot more of that, uh, which is super helpful because we're a gear shop and she heads up product content. That's a big deal. Um, so yeah, now I, I do... I oversee a lot of that stuff. I do a lot of that stuff with Alex. Together, we put on our first Powder 7 ski test last spring, which we'll probably talk about more later. Um, which is kind of like our symphony for talking about gear and testing it with all of our staff. Um, and then I do a bunch of odds and ends, other kind of brand um, bearded mascot hype guy kind of stuff, ranging from social to athletes to events, which we do a lot to be relevant locally and stuff like that on down the line. So who now skis more during <laughs> a given season? Is it Alex or Matt? We are in a tough race. Yeah. Every year we kind of compete. I think right now we're neck and neck, I think. But last year, Matt got me for sure. That's a, that's a that's painfully okay. relevant question because we do duke it out through the season. I did. I got you last year. She had a little injury. She hit a big rock. Mm. Um, it, looked, it was badass. <laughs> I was right there. It, it didn't end well, but it looked great. I got you last year, but I, we'll see how this year goes. <laughs> I like to quote the great Scott Markowitz, the photographer. And I don't remember, it wasn't Scott. I've actually never met Scott. Scott, we should talk sometime. But um, a friend of mine said that, and I've never forgotten it, that uh, Markowitz once said, again, great ski photographer. He was like, landings are for athletes, right? So, (laughs) you look good in the air, that's all Markowitz cares about. And it sounds like from this story, you, according to Markowitz, you nailed whatever it was you were doing that day, Alex. Yeah, it didn't feel like it. I knew I was in trouble <laughs> as soon as I was going off the rock, but uh, apparently it looked cool to the others, which is all good. Yeah. But you, you may go into this on a different podcast, Jonathan, because we could probably talk about this for a long time. But Alex and I have at length debated how you define your number of ski days for a ski season. Mm-hmm. If you're mm-hmm. big into summer skiing like we are. Um, is it which year's snow are you skiing? Does sand count? Yeah. What if you're in the Southern hemisphere? So we won't do that all right now, but we have argued at length about that. Yeah, well, actually, the, no, I'm, I, let's do it just a minute or two. <laughs> I mean, do you guys, I, I'm probably a little wishy-washy on this one. Um, first of all, skiing, if you are clicking into bindings, that are attached to a ski, you are skiing. I don't think I don't think it matters if it's sand, leaves, snow, ice. So I'm pretty liberal in terms of the actual surface area. 
Um, but how do you how do you decide whether it counts as last season or the next season? Where does one where do you guys draw the line or where is the state of the debate? Did we reach consensus on this, Alex? I don't think so. I, I think it's a little bit too uh, tough to come to a final answer. But uh, I like the calendar year thing. Uh, you start oh. October 1st, mm. but your whole season goes until uh, September 31st or so. That's that's how I count them. Because I, like, I do a lot of summer ski days. But I like the which years, which season snow are you on? Um, so, okay. you know, and, you know, we don't, we're not skiing a lot of glaciers. That would complicate that. Um so I had to disagree on the sand thing because I really wanted to pad the stats with a couple sand dunes days I did in August. And I was told I was not allowed to because then any Joe Schmo could just put on skis and go out in their front yard and pad their stats. Uh, I'm still a little bitter about it. Wait, but. for the record, I'm completely fine with that. Like some kids <laughs> building like a rail behind the house and clicking into boot, you know, stepping into boots, clicking into bindings. I will count that 100%. Well... Wow, I'm the nice Upon one around review, here all of a sudden. I guess I had an even higher number last year, Alex. <laughs> yeah. No, that yeah. counts. As far as I'm concerned, that's relevant and counts. You're still making turns in ski boots. Yeah. Yeah. You disagree? No, I don't disagree with you. Okay. I was just trying to uh, uh, cement my status as number one in ski boots <laughs> uh, by excluding some of their auxiliary ski boots. I think that's a fair uh, point. I think both of our yeah. arguments change to support whatever we each need to beat the other with ski days. No. That's full. Y'all are fighting dirty. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm afraid I, I got to side with Matt on this one. I think, yeah, in boots, clicking into bindings, it's skiing. Rock and roll, baby. <laughs> so, I can't, I can't yeah. get behind that. This has been a good. This has been a good conversation for you so far, Matt. Well, I got off to a tough start with the technology here, but I'm I'm you coming did. back. <laughs> You're coming back. Let's talk more about skiing and the shop and how many folks you have on staff and how often we've been talking a bit about how much you guys are getting out, but how much is the crew getting out? Yeah, I think um, I think we're at, and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're at like 70 uh, people on staff now, including everyone across all the departments. Um, and I think everyone is, or at least most folks are, are very, very stoked on riding, which I think is a really cool part of our culture is everyone kind of gets everyone else worked up to go skiing. And we have a lot of... Uh, days where we go out as a big crew and go skiing. We're doing some social shred days here soon where it's designated days for staff to go ski with people they haven't skied with yet. Um, one big perk uh, is working retail. We're open on the weekends, so a lot of us wind up working weekend days. So we've got a few weekdays to get out, um, help with the crowds a little bit. So I'd say everyone is very stoked on getting out, which is a, a cool feature of the shop for sure. It's super cool building off that too, because we have so many staff now and some people are just looking to get into the ski industry with a, a retail job. So we have a huge array of like abilities and ski history. So the fact that we have one sport that we all focus on skiing um, is really cool because people come in with whatever their past ski experience is. And there are just other people around saying like, yo, you want to get into skinning? Let's go skin up Loveland after they close or let's go get you into touring. Let's go, um, you know, try getting better at bump skiing or let's go to Silverton and send it. So there's a whole array. Um, but the staff, it's like you get a built-in 
friend group should you decide to take it <laughs> when you start working at Bowder 7. There's always people getting beers. There's always people to ski with. Um, and that's been, I mean, that's been true since I started at like 15 employees um, straight through through now, which is mm. super cool. So where are you all doing most of your skiing? Well, I just came down today from Steamboat. So a lot of us, you know, a lot of the shop will either have Epic or Icon. Some have both from time to time. Um, so we'll bounce around the state. I think everybody with an Icon pass chases snow and grabs an Airbnb with friends and does all that. Um, we have a couple really cool like <laughs> partnerships that end up as benefits for staff. So a few of us got to do Steamboat Powder Cats over the weekend. Um, and a few more are going to do it tomorrow. Um, and then we do like Monarch, cat skiing, Telluride heli tracks. Um, we do a whole company trip to Wolf Creek. So we get around like that. I mean, for me personally, I spend most of my days at Loveland ski area though. It's close, great vibes, spicy margaritas are good. But if you're listening to this, it's actually average. Don't go. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I have to confess, I have never skied Loveland and I've never skied Steamboat Springs. Wow. Yeah. Alex is, Alex wants, Alex is hanging up later. (laughs) Loveland's worth a visit. It's right off the highway. It's, uh, I mean, it, it feels small when you compare it to like a copper or a A basin, even in terms of like terrain, but it has just a little bit of everything and just such a rad community. You see the same people out there all the time and recognize ski setups and you know, it's pretty sweet to have that ski community, that local ski hill vibe when you're like right next to the interstate. So shout out for Echo Mountain night skiing. Some people do that from time to time. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a lot of winter park folks, uh, some copper, uh, a basin, especially once everything's open and it's the spring. Um, and then everybody tries to ball out on like a Taos, Aspen, Alta Snowbird or Jackson. I think most of the staff tries to aim for one of those or multiples. So again, trying to spread it out. (laughs) It's a lot of different spots. And I did give you guys some fair warning that we were probably going to discuss this in this conversation, but I'm thinking about it a ton these days um, in part because it seems like every reviewing the news conversation I do with Cody Townsend, we end up talking about this now, like literally every month. But, um, I'm just, we're just back as we did last conversation talking about um, the price of day passes at ski areas. And I'm curious, given that you all have just named a bunch of different ski areas and getting to a bunch of different ski areas, what your take is on this? Because, you know, I have been kind of, I mean, saying and a lot of people are not so happy with me right now like stop focusing on whatever the price is of a day pass these companies especially with the mega passes are making ski passes less expensive so we have a high day rate but a much lower pass rate and So I've been saying like all this hand wringing about day passes is kind of BS because for for people who are actually going skiing, it actually is less expensive now to in many, many places, um, you know, to get that icon pass or an epic pass. And so it's like, stop worrying about the day pass. Now, that said, 
some people are rightly bringing up like, okay, but what about bringing people into the sport? If you're trying to just try skiing for the first time, um, I'm very sympathetic to that argument. Um, and I, and so I'll, I'll shut up for a second, but like, I want to just hear your respective takes on the, like the cheaper season pass, but at the expense of the higher price day ticket thoughts. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, like uh, most of us here at the shop aren't like riding Vail on a day ticket. Uh, they're using their Epic Pass or their Icon Pass or something like that or a Buddy Pass. I think it is important to make sure those lift tickets are at a reasonable price to get people into the sport and make sure that, you know, if you've got family coming out, if they just want a one-off ski day, that it doesn't break the bank. But I also think there are a lot of other options outside of the Vail Altera conglomerate, you know, looking at your independent ski hills. Um, Loveland does a really cool four pack deal. Um, you wind up getting your day tickets for like 50 or 60 bucks each, but you get four tickets out of that. Um, there's a lot of local ski hills around here. I lived in Fort Collins for school and we would always go skiing up in Snowy Range up in Wyoming. And Super small hill, but it was perfect for me, like a budding intermediate. And I just had all this space to go play around in the snow for like 40, 50 bucks a day. So there are options. You may just have to think out of the box a little bit. But um, yeah, it's I think to go spend a day at Vail or even Winter Park is definitely uh, getting out of out of bounds for a lot of a lot of folks. Yeah. I mean, kind of building off that, like I said before, we, we at the shop because we get mega passes and then go ski around the day ticket price is kind of like video game numbers to us. It's like, we're going to joke about it and laugh about it and cry about it. It doesn't really impact any of us. Um, I agree on the, the topic of it is a lot harder for people to get into the sport that way. I, I know some resorts have experimented with like, if you first time or kind of packages or deals, like if you buy a lesson and it's your first time, maybe maybe your name isn't saved in the system and you get one of these a year or something like that. You buy a lesson and your day ticket and your lift ticket's paid for or something like that. You know, to me, it seems like if it seems like the, the day ticket price is gonna just keep going up. And a lot of the course skiers aren't gonna really care about that because they get these passes. But if the people who are suffering the most are are people new to the sport, there's there has to be a way <laughs> to package things up kind of like that, uh, that makes it more accessible for those people. That said, I also, to Alex's point, really think of these small ski areas being great um, opportunities for new skiers. So um, like I have a brother who lives in Hawaii who like grew up in Colorado and he's raising a family and they come out and he's really gotten away from going at all to big resorts because if you're just on beginner terrain, why do you need to go to Vail or Breckenridge or anything like that? Go to Loveland, go to Ski Cooper, you know, go to Winter Park or uh, Wolf Creek, go to Monarch, so on and so forth. What a cool, Kendall Mountain in Silverton. <laughs> like we did that uh, last year. So what a cool opportunity for these small resorts, to, small ski areas <laughs> to get, uh, to get business and kind of dominate that beginner market. Um, especially in places where you can stay in, let me think of a good example. Like you can stay in, the Vail area and still go to like ski Cooper and do the beginner thing. And then the family can divide up and the adults can go to Vail on their four day season pass product or whatever and ski that. I don't know if I came out with a clear opinion there, but I think that's, that's where I would, I would say. I mean, basically where I'm at with this and, and Matt, what you just articulated is basically where I was coming from. And we 
we talked about this in our last reviewing the news conversation. I recorded a blister podcast conversation talking about looking to create more community led, small, really small ski areas. And that that could serve as a feeder system to let people try the sport, get into it, have a great time, bring a community together and, um, you know, let that kind of be a, a, a start point to figure out if you are like, yeah, I actually really dig this. And then, because once we get past that, turns out then these mega pass prices are good, you know? And so if everybody's hand wringing about how do we bring new people into the sport? Well, the rise of more small community led, I mean, really small community led ski areas. I think that would be amazing. That said, somebody pointed out um, that Alta still is running a program where you can buy a pass that I believe um, allows you to ski just the beginner lifts from like 3 p.m. through the rest of the day. And I've been thinking about that program a lot more. And I think something like that would be really interesting for more ski areas to implement something like that. And maybe it could even be at, you know, 2 p.m., you know, or something. And But just have it at, it's good for only certain lifts at a ski area. I think that would be something that I would love to see gain more traction. And then the last thing I want to say, and then I, I promise I'll shut up, but I have been really thinking a lot about this. People that come firing with complaints about this stuff are very rarely thinking through like these are freaking businesses that need to function as businesses. And this idea of like, well, Vail should offer super cheap season passes and super cheap day passes. It's like, that's really convenient for you to propose. Like, who is like, is the world coming in and whatever business you work in and demanding that, you know, your products cost, you know, half as much as they do? Like, these things actually have to make sense or these ski areas can go away. And I think that I feel a little bit more of like, these are businesses. By the way, we might also remember people were really about raising salaries and wages at ski areas, which Vail did. So now we want higher pay, cheaper season passes, cheaper day rates. It's like, okay, just like, let's get clear on some of this. You you don't get to live in magical unicorn world, right? And so that's the only thing that I do wish sometimes people like were like, oh, right, these are like expensive businesses. And turns out it's expensive to install new chairlifts and keep it all operating and have this large staff with increasing wages. Right. And sometimes I just wish I wish we were all doing a better job of keeping all of these factors in mind. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you guys are like, let me off this Gear 30 podcast. What is happening right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a, like a super fair point. And it was on display during COVID, you know, and struggles, <laughs> struggles for places across the outdoor industry that provide experiences, you know, not even just in winter. So, you know, selling season pass products early in the year makes you a little bit more immune to a bad winter for snow and so on and so forth. That's right. So there's obvious benefits and it is. But yeah. b- by the way, Matt, I'm sorry. I swear to God, I'll shut up. Not a little bit makes you more immune. Oh, oh, yeah. Is 
a massive factor and a massive factor. And this is another one that I don't hear enough people talking about, especially as climate is getting more erratic. Most of your favorite ski areas, if those ski areas got blanked for one year, they're out of business. So let's, I want to keep that variable in mind as well. That's a real fucking fact. So how do we, we want, like, I think sometimes that with the complaints, we just assume these ski areas are around forever. That's a more tenuous situation than I think some people are aware of. Back to you, Matt. So anyway, I want to totally. underscore that point. <clears throat> um, and I think you're, you're right about, I think a lot of people want, we want everything, <laughs> you know, for sure and everything and i love ski areas versus ski resorts and i talk about that all the time on chairlifts uh but the reality is you know we sell equipment to people on ski vacations and locals like we as a business we need veil to stay in business (laughs) Um, i think a lot this is super anecdotal but i think a lot of this is um a lot of the sour feelings about these things just come from how some of this stuff is packaged from big companies and big resorts and what, and the vibes they're giving off. It's like when you're not treating employees, right. Or you're slow to raise wages or you're, you've got ski patrollers on strike or you're not doing anything for employee housing or local housing. I know that's always push pull between the town and the resort. I know that's a caveat, but when you're doing that and then you're traded, you're publicly traded company, I think all those things add up to like, they don't know the soul of skiing. They don't care about the soul of skiing. Like I want to go to Loveland where the soul of skiing is on display every day. I mean, Aspen, um, you know, when Aspen ski company has that area has its own challenges and there's a ton of money out there and prices are high. Uh, but they've done a better job than others of, um, taking care of employees from a housing perspective. Um, and so that's, you know, they're not perfect, <laughs> but that's where they're not getting as much vitriol directed at them, at least from my perspective as Vale is. Um, so I think a, a piece of that is just like how you're coming across as this big company to the people who, prov- especially to the people who provide the experience, your patrollers, your core skiers, your, your rest, your bartenders, your wait staff in Vale Village, um, and I think that's a huge piece of it. That's kind of idealistic bordering, but I think that is a big piece of the puzzle. Um, so it's a, it's a hard line to ride and nobody would argue with that. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's why, <laughs> that's why we always talk about Loveland, <laughs> you know, if it's mm-hmm. the, if we've got the core of skiing there, but it's a different, it's a totally different thing being that ski area versus ski resort with different challenges. Alex, we'll give you the final word or final thoughts on mm. this. What do you got? I think um, at a certain point, too, some of these big resorts like Vale and, and Winter Park and Copper might be, they're not necessarily serving the beginner skier either, or the entry-level skier. Like they, they're out there for people on vacations and they're just kind of striking a different tone and experience, I guess, or they're looking for customers who are in for a different experience. So maybe they kind of stick to their guns and do what they're going to do and raise their day ticket prices. But we've still got all these small ski areas that can offer uh, a more low key, one off day trip kind of visit. Um, So maybe there's a little bit of room for both. But that's the final word. That's the final word. Well, probably not the last time we're going to be talking about this topic. Uh, 
on blister but um i appreciate you going through it again with me and um and i do think given that you guys are regularly hitting up a number of different areas um kind of bring a nice perspective to this i think um so but this is about the longest we've ever gone on gear 30 without talking about gear so maybe we should Mm -hmm. do that um first of all tell us a bit more about the powder seven test so we kind of along the lines of what i was talking about with doing more content especially more gear content we've been building toward how can we get more of our staff out on more of the product and then get more feedback to share with customers (laughs) and help them make buying decisions and we sell online as well so we do have a place to distribute information um, so yeah, it's, I mean, personally for me, it's been kind of a pipe dream for a few years to have a powder seven ski test. Um, and last year we just brought, uh, brought our truck full of, full of shop demos, a uh, little backstory. We have a large fleet of shop demo skis that our staff can take out throughout the season. Um, it's big. <laughs> so we tapped into that for our ski test. We got some skis from reps and stuff like that and did four days in a row at Loveland um, and each day was like a different category of skis. So like carving front side, all mountain, big mountain free ride powder. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was super fun to pass out paper test cards, kind of OG ski test style, um, and have people filling those out. Um, we had a photo- staff photographer there doing, doing that for kind of stoke and product, um, and more content stuff. Um, but yeah, then over the summer, Alex just, slung a bunch of test cards and compiled the information and it was that was also badass and then we produced um uh kind of a, a little buyer's guide out of that so the but the goal was like get more staff on more of the skis gather the feedback alex what do you have to add to matt's thoughts on the test i think one of the cool experiences for me was just being able to see when staff can ski so many different things and all of these things that they've been talking about with customers and then finally get to put it to snow. It all comes kind of like full circle. And it's like, oh, that's what that's supposed to feel like. And it's it's pretty cool to see all of that context come into place and being able to ski skis back to back to back to back to back. I think that is just a really cool experience for the staff. And also really great for us to figure out what staff actually is enjoying, what they are really stoked about, what um, what skis are we excited to talk about to customers, things like that. Kind of fine tune um, this big saturated market that we have full of ski options and kind of figure out what people are stoked on. It's something that customers want to do more of, right? Like they come by our, our setup at Loveland and they're like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're testing skis. And they're like, I want to do that, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's what we're trying to do is get them more snow on snow feedback. It's still kind of amazing. And it sounds like this probably rings true to at least maybe some of your new staff coming on at powder seven when people are like, Oh my God, skis feel way different than each other. You know, like, and it's like, yeah, Yep. (laughs) Like there's a reason we tend to write 10,000 word reviews around here. Um, you know, and, uh, man, the number of times we will hear people say things like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure I'm good enough to tell the difference even between products. It's like, first of all, that's a hundred percent, not true. 100%. You might not be able to articulate the difference 
of this or that ski or this or that boot. And that's totally fine. You might not be able to articulate the difference, but I promise you, you are not going to be like, they're all the same. I felt, I just felt like they were all the same, like isn't going to happen, you know? And, um, so I think that's a, probably a pretty valuable thing for your staff to get to kind of experience for themselves. For sure. I think also um, sometimes our, our perceptions of certain skis, like, oh, this ski has two sheets of metal in it. That's going to be super hard for me to ski. And then they hop on it and they're like, that really wasn't that bad. That was quicker to turn than I expected it to be. Whereas this ski without any metal was a lot harder for me to kind of get to respond or something. So kind of breaking down, yeah, those preconceptions we have just based on what's in there yeah and we love we have skis and especially a certain type of ski that we love to talk about at the shop right like we're all talking to each other about big mountain skis free ride skis between 102 and 112 all the time and we're so stoked about them and then we sell all kinds of front side carving skis to people in new york or people in you know in vale like all, all over um and so it's really good from the ski test perspective to make sure we're like getting on each category. And then we, we do get like some surprises off of that. Uh, I thought this carving ski was going to be impossible for me as someone who's hasn't carved much, but then they're like, Oh, this one was way easier for me to work on, you know, rolling my edges over and actually laying trenches versus this other one. Um, so yeah, kind of to your point about our preconceived notions, we have skis we love to talk about and it doesn't always match what people are looking for. Sometimes it does, sometimes it does. So the two of you, I mean, so you're talking about putting on this ski test. You've said it well, it's primarily for staff, but the two of you are, I take it out rotating through a number of different products much of the season. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes, I'd say so. <laughs> We're ski testing. You're ski- <laughs> she was using air quotes. I, don't, yeah, I think I they're just skis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit some of the standout equipment and it could actually be some of the front side stuff that you have been testing. It could be just some of the stuff that you find yourself skiing most of the time at Loveland or whatever. But one of the things I enjoy most about these shop talk episodes is just getting to hear, you know, we were just talking with Mike Donahue uh, from outdoor gear exchange in Burlington, Vermont. Like Mike, what are you up to in your neck of the woods? And, you know, I think it's fun to, just get these different points about either what you and your staff are super into or what your customers are coming in and asking for. So what do you got for us? That's a little bit different. We, you know, when we, when we train our staff, we talk about customer personas and like, who's going to walk through the door, what you could, what you could sell. We used to say at powder seven, like, Oh, like 90% of people who walk through the door need 90% of the men need like a hundred flex boot. Um, and a hundred wasted ski rock and roll. <laughs> and it's, we've become more nuanced than that. Um, but a lot of our customers do get a mega pass and they're like, Oh, it's my first year with an icon pass. Heck yeah. I'm stoked. I'm going to ski more than ever. And I want something I've been on a pair of like rental skis or something I got as a hand-me-down or whatever. That's skinny. And I didn't know. And it sucked in powder is what everybody says. So they're like, get me some where we always say, well, it's powder kit should be fun. <laughs> and so we end up talking about, I would say that upper all upper wider all mountain skis right around 100 95 to 100 a lot with our customers to match what they're looking for. Um I think for for our staff, yeah, we we love going out and testing like Stokely Montero AX on like 
<laughs> hot lap groomer days. And that's a, that's a shop favorite for carving skis. Um, but then, you know, we're, we're, when we're buying skis, um, we're looking at that, that big mountain free ride category around 105 to 112. There's all these new, you know, the, things move narrower. And now, you know, especially for next season, things are like, oh, people really like 112s, 114s, 110s. Um, and that's, that definitely holds true for our staff. Um, whether it's crushing around Loveland, um, taking them down to Taos, going on vacation, Jackson, wherever. Um, that's the category that we like to, we like to hammer. You think, you think that's true, Alex? Yeah, for sure. I've actually been a bit swinging back to more narrow skis. I feel like I was on a lot of like 105, 108 skis for a while. And I'm like, I can do anything on these. And then you'd have like a firm hot lap groomer day. And I'm like, man, I'm really not <laughs> carving as much as I really think I should be. So I, this season have been really stoked on like, um, the Armada declivity reliance series. That 92 TI is super, super fun, beefy, but playful. Um, I bought a QST 98 this year. That ski is just a all mountain Colorado crusher and, uh, the unleash 98 as well. Um, just a lot of those kind of like what Matt talked about our customers are into. They're just really, really versatile and can ski powder pretty well. If you run into some, it's not going to be a powder machine or anything, but can certainly get you where you need to be. Um, and it's much more responsive, a little bit quicker in all the other terrain that you're into. So, um, yeah, I've kind of converted back to some more skinny skis, relatively skinny skis in my personal preferences these days. I keep threatening to do it and I haven't yet to buy, buy an 88 that I have, but we all, we get to have shop skis around. Um, but kind of a funny example there is we did a, we did a custom ski this year with Folsom, uh, out of Denver. And so we did like custom graphics, uh, one for each ski. And we had an 88, the spar 100, the completo and the one Oh six cash. And that was a really fun <laughs> project to, for us to develop. And then now we have those skis in our shop fleet and people are going out and skiing up, skiing them. And they've sold really well across the board, which is sweet because we were wondering like small hand handmade Colorado brand in an 88, like who will buy that? Um, but it's been, it's been really cool to see uh, people be able to get out on those and then sell them to customers and be able to kind of like broaden your broaden our horizons and what we like to ski and how we, how we talk about stuff. Uh, Cause the conversation we have with customers so often is, like and ourselves if we do some soul searching is like we wish we we wish we could ski powder every day um but especially for customers who are only skiing weekends in colorado like you're you get one powder run and then it's chop like refrozen stuff shop soft chop hopefully and then all that stuff so back to the ski test it's cool to ski all these skis in different kind of conditions you know like everything's fun in powder too so <laughs> if you get your powder day, it almost matters a little less than if you have some more difficult conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Another thing that I, I just had a really long conversation yesterday with a good buddy of mine, um, great skier, Rob Dickinson, shout out Rob, um, lives here in CB, but grew up in New York. And we were just talking again about, he was in HQ, we're looking at everything and, um, we're just talking again about ski width and i do think like a real variable for people who ski in the rocky mountains is punchy snow and people that live and are skiing 
people, I won't, not people who live, but people who are skiing at places with maritime snowpacks probably don't understand, understandably, why in a Rocky Mountain, a, a drier, lower water content snowpack, a punchy snowpack, we tend to gravitate toward wider skis. Because on maritime, I mean, you're basically skiing fudge, right? You're not punching through. You're not breaking through that. And um, I don't know. It's just it got me thinking a lot more when you know you still people. Some people are like, I don't know what you all are doing on these. You're talking about Alex. You're you're going narrower. You're still on 98 millimeters wide, you know. Which which again, you know, in 2010, that actually was kind of a pow ski for a lot of people. Certainly 2005 and. Um, but I still think that for all mountain skiing in drier climates with lighter snow, it is not all powder, as you said well, Matt, but it is often punchy. And that means grabby. And the narrower that ski, the more you're actually knifing in through knifing in and through the snowpack, and now you're stuck. And I, I think that's why we do bias out a bit on the width. And if you were just skiing really firm ice or real hard pack, then you can actually go skinnier, right? If you're not punching through it, then go skinny, be on edge, you know, be quicker edge to edge. And I think that all kind of makes sense. And it's just something that I'm like, maybe we have not been as clear on this in our reviews as we need to be. I don't know what that sounds like to you guys. No, that sounds right. I think it's all a lot of uh, your personal preference and your experience on what you've been on too. Like if you've started on wider skis, you're going to be a little bit more used to that. And yeah, I've really uh, have only skied out here um, in Colorado. I haven't spent much time at skiing deep snow in uh, the Northwest or out East or anything like that. So I've just kind of always gravitated toward that wider ski to help just kind of feel like a more stable platform when dealing with some of that soft chop or firm chop or punchy chop. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think a piece of that is also the shapes of skis too, because, you know, like so many, obviously so many people who come again from, like rental skis or hand-me-downs or getting narrower stuff because they maybe they started out east or somewhere else in a different climate. They, they think this is what skis are. And I think getting them on wider skis in this snowpack, to your point, does help. It is more service area, as we always say, to like tip over and stuff. But I'm always I'm always super interested because in for a lot of that kind of snow, you know, more taper <laughs> it helps a lot with that gravity thing. You know, if you have a long side cut, uh, a lot, some of these skis can get super hooky in some of that stuff, especially if you're not, you know, as athletic or as savvy of a driver. Um, so I think I'm always pretty intrigued by like the, you know, like your QST uh, Lumen 98, Alex, like a, a narrow, narrower ish ski, but that has a lot of tip taper and a really nice, smooth, buttery shape to it that helps you deal with a lot of that stuff rather than getting hooked up, especially in like chop. And when powder gets a little bit heavier, we talk to a lot of our customers about like, Oh, you know, when there's a little wind crust and they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. What do I do about that? <laughs> um, so I think often for good reason, <laughs> waste with getting wider in today's skis does match 
shape becoming a little bit more tapered, a little bit more surfy, um, a little more rocker, which obviously has drawbacks on hard snow and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, we, we like, we train our staff and talk to customers a lot about shape. That's a, a huge piece of the puzzle. And I'm coming from like skiing out East for a long time at like Whiteface mountain on the Rossi S three, like a noodle with a ton of taper. I had a Sir Francis bacon, like crushing down Whiteface on ice, um, which gets to the point about, it's also it's kind of Alex's point too, about uh, what you prioritize, <laughs> like is groomer skiing, blah, 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 survival for you. I want to go in the trees and that's where I want to thrive. In which case, sure, ski the wider ski with more taper. Um, and if you're like sliding around on groomers, let's find you a little more of a compromise, I suppose. Whiteface, never skied there, but that's actually my buddy's home mountain back east. So a lot of days at Whiteface. I will get there at some point. I will get there at some point. Do it soon. The, the, they're not getting the snow totals out east, incidentally that they once did. And New England is looking kind of rough for, for climate change. But Whiteface is, Iceface is the, is the unfortunate moniker. But uh, it, it is, it's super fun. I've got a good buddy out there in Keene in the Adirondacks. Um, and yeah, Whiteface is great. Well, hey, I should probably let you folks get back to your evening here uh, shortly. But um, bringing it back to Powder 7, um, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Boot fitting and then this trade-in program you have. So Alex, you want to start with boot fitting? Yeah, I can jump in on that. Um, I think one of the cool things about the shop is nearly everyone who starts here um, has the opportunity to get trained on boot fitting. Um, So I think sometimes in that kind of like ski culture, that boot fitting feels kind of like a dark art that you learn over time and you don't actually get to become a boot fitter until you're older. But This way, we have a lot of staff who just come in. They might not even have like a ton of experience with skiing, but they get brought in into this boot fitting fold and can have all the training that they want. Um, And as a result, we have this really big staff of really solid boot fitters uh, who are really young and really relatable and really fun to work with. And I think that makes it a really fun experience for customers when they come in. Um, And yeah, it's just a really cool opportunity for having a really diverse staff of boot fitters too. Um, we all get the opportunity to go to master fit if you've been boot fitting for, uh, for a season plus, and, uh, it's a great opportunity to know a lot in a short amount of time. Um, and I feel really grateful to have been able to learn a lot about boot fitting, uh, just with my own boot problems itself. So it's been nice. When I started at powder seven, it was like, grab of grab a size and then grab a few boots off the rack and then see what see what seemed best so it was a little bit more feel than science of boot fitting um it's actually been awesome to watch it grow into a more legit boot fitting um scene and some of us who have worked here for a long time are like we need to defer to our newer properly trained boot fitters for actual boot fitting appointments um and it's i mean it's it's kind of revolutionized what we can do for customers. And it's also revolutionized our staff's own skiing because now we're a bunch of the staff buy, buy zip fits. Um, we sell zip fits. And so they're like, Oh wow, these, this is sick. And then it's like, Oh, I was skiing in a bunch of staff will come in and be like, Oh wow. I just realized I was skiing in a boot that was a size or two too big all through college. And now my skiing is changing. I can tell that story to customers and that's super relatable and really cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, boot fitting is the, you know, the, 
the boots are the what, what's our saying? You date your skis and you marry your boots. We didn't. We didn't. That's not our proprietary saying. But not we, your proprietary. <laughs> it's just a fact, it's, though. It's a fact. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good rule to live by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's been super cool to watch how that's kind of helped out customers, but especially like helped our staff just have more fun skiing. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the trade-in program. Totally. So toward the end of last season, we rolled out uh, our ski trade-in program. So um, if you've got a past year ski, um, we have a form on our website where you punch in the year of the ski model condition, what bindings you've got with it. Um, and we have um, a f- kind of a fancy backend system that spits out a trade-in offer price. Um, and so uh, you can apply that price to a shopping cart on our website or in-store. Um, and basically then we'll, if you're, if we ship you your order, we'll refund uh, the trading amount once you send back your used skis to us. And then if you're local, we'll just do it in-store for the transaction. But all that, those details aside, it's... <laughs> Yeah, we want to help people. We want to, you know, keep gear out of landfills and re- find new homes for all these skis that people are done with. So it can be fun if you're cleaning out your garage to do to use this, or if you just have something that's two years old that you're not so stoked on anymore. Or you you find out you demo something else, and you're like, ah, I'm kind of over my skis. I want to try something new. Those are all good good way good reasons to come in and take advantage of trade in it's usually the it's an, it's like the first question i asked when i heard about it well how much are we paying you for your traded in skis that amount varies based on what you put in the form but typically it's like having sold a lot of skis on facebook marketplace and craigslist uh it's a little bit less than often what you'll get on those places but you don't have to do the work <laughs> so take that out for you um and yeah it's i mean it's been really cool it's always cool. The ro- new things are fun, right? So it's been a new. Uh, it's fu- been fun to have a new thing to roll out there, a new thing to offer people. Uh, but as far as like a a cool thing to give gear new homes, and then a cool way to get new gear yourself, people have been really stoked about it. So people are trading in this gear. They're getting some new stuff. But then, what are you doing with the gear that? the old gear that you now have is that going back out for sale just at the shop is that going out for sale online what's the situation there yeah both so everything on our website we have in our warehouse here in golden so you know as i mentioned the business started uh with used ski sales and so we still sell a lot of used demos uh, it's a, it's a big portion of our business and so uh, those skis go back into that system and um are for sale on our site and in our store. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we've been talking a lot about around here and it is cool. You know, Outdoor Gear Exchange in Burlington runs a kind of similar program. And I I love this for shops. You know, yes, carry the latest, greatest, newest, coolest, whatever. And a lot of people are going to be into that. But, um, when we have we spent a lot of time talking about the affordability of our sport, then this is a straight up legit way to help people on the gear end get into these things. And um really proud of shops like yours that are doing this. And I think it is a service and as you said, will keep more gear out of landfills and it just seems like a win all the way around. I think it's cool too to be able to get people set up on used gear that is like high end as well. Yeah, You're not going yeah. to your like used gear shop to buy 20 year old skis where the bindings not work, you know, 
these skis have got a full tune. We've checked bindings. Everything's all good to go. So you get to have a ski that's a year or two old for a pretty good value. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity for people to try new stuff as well. Yeah, and it's kind of fun from helping you know friends try to find gear on Facebook or Craigslist. They'll be like, oh, is this a good ski? I'm like, no, <laughs> and you're going to pay, you know, it's medium and you're going to pay that price for it. If you can pony up, you know, 50 to a hundred more dollars, you can pay, you can, obviously I work here, but you can, you can pay us and, and, uh, get a nicer, just a nicer piece of equipment, have more fun skiing, which is the whole point. It's like easy for us to forget that that's the whole point. <laughs> the whole point. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And yeah, you, I mean, as we, we went rather wide ranging, I guess, about sort of the ski industry and, you know, like every industry, we have the great things about it. There's some things we're still working on and trying to improve, but, um, honestly, you know, and people do talk about like gear is expensive and it is, but I do feel like in the ski industry, there are more good avenues toward like, I feel like we're just getting better at this as an industry where if you're willing to spend even a little bit of time looking around and as we're able to help maybe get word out about powder sevens trade in program and the rest, these are good options for a lot of people. And, um, so, you know, we, we always have room for improvement, you know, uh, but I, I like this, what I think is actually a trend. I think we're seeing more of this, not less of this. And I think that's um, something worth celebrating. For sure. I mean, look at Patagonia. You've got Warren yep. Ware and all yep. of that stuff coming through. So uh, it's great that I think some of these bigger brands are kind of giving this some structure rather than you just trying to navigate the online marketplace of Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and that being a little bit more sketchy, I guess, in some ways, but yeah. I'll let you guys get going. Um, Matt, tell us again, where can people walk into powder seven? Where should people go online to find powder seven? Yeah. So, uh, we're located in golden Colorado, the North end of town in the kind of random industrial district up there. That's growing right across from North table. Um, and so we do offer in-store shopping. Um, it's kind of weird. You walk in, we have a very small storefront. So when you walk in, don't think like, oh my God, they don't carry anything. We have everything in, the, in a warehouse. Bring it out for you. Um, an important note is that we do all of our boot, boot fitting by appointment only. So um, go, you can go on our website, powder7.com to make a boot fitting appointment or give us a call. Um, and that's, that's the biggest caveat is like, make sure you've got an appointment. We don't like to shortchange those nice two up to two hour block for a proper boot fit. Um, and then other than that, yeah, swing by, swing by HQ here in golden or it's powder7.com. Powder7.com. Um, well, thanks you two. And Alex, it sounds like we're going to see you at our blister summit in February. Matt, are you, are you cruising through? I am. You're going to have to see me again, Jonathan. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Cause you're not very good at technology. So I think doing it in person will just help the whole cause, but no, that'll be really fun. And Alex, you said you haven't skied in CB before. Matt, have you? I have. It's been, it's been a long time. I've done some summer stuff down there. The last time I was there, uh, it hadn't snowed too much. So I think I put three core shots in my skis because I did not care at all. I was having too much fun. So I'm, I'm really excited to get back to CB for the winter. That's awesome. 
Well, that's really cool. It'll be fun having you both out here. We're going to get to ride some chair lifts and take some laps for sure. And um, so it's fun to connect here and uh, get to say, you know, see ya, man, see ya in just about a month out here. It's Soon. that thing's coming fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mountain is skiing great. Um, very stoked on current conditions. And uh, yeah, steeps are open. I was telling Alex, like, she asked if I skied today. <laughs> like by 3.30 yesterday afternoon, I was so jello. My, I was like, I'm definitely going to just hit a tree now. Um, but conditions were so good, I didn't want to stop skiing. So it was kind of this like life-death balance type thing but uh made it through yesterday i was like okay i'm definitely taking a day off today and uh but it's man it's fun when when conditions are cooperating and this mountain pops it's um alex i think you're gonna enjoy i'm very excited <laughs> i spent a, a winter in aspen um so i was just right across the way from you but haven't made it to crested butte so i'm excited to get back to that old that old range I'm excited. Excellent. For sure. Excellent. Well, hey, you too. Thanks so much. And uh, have a great season until I see you next month here in CB. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for having us. Right on. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Well, it is now time for our crashes and close calls segment. And I am here with David Golay, Blister's bike editor. And now, David... We should say, full disclosure, you actually walked us through this story on a Blister Happy Hour live stream that we did. By the way, folks, if you are a Blister member, go to the Blister member clubhouse and you can find more information about Happy Hours. You can watch past Happy Hour episodes. These are a lot of fun and you should join them. More information to be found on the Blister member clubhouse page of our website. Anyway... David was telling this story, and it's a good one. And again, the reason we started this Crashes and Close Calls segment is because we have this new thing, this Blister Plus Spot Insurance. It's a membership where you can make sure that when you wreck, you don't get wrecked. And so we're going to walk through one of David's stories, and then we'll talk a little bit about if he had had Spot at the time how this could have benefited him and how it works, that kind of thing. So, David Golay, nice to see you. Share with us, please, this uh, slightly horrendous story of yours. Yeah, well, glad to chat. But uh, yeah, not the best story of my life. Um, so, short version of it is I was skiing inbounds in Crystal. It was This was April 2019, and it had been pretty warm for a few weeks prior to this, but then cooled off another big storm cycle rolled in and we got a whole bunch of very good new snow. And so things were skiing great. And I went to ski a line that I've hit quite a few times before that basically kind of, there's a little string of trees at the top of a cliff band and you kind of have to make a left turn to shoot through a gap in the trees and then turn back right. And there's a little double drop down the cliff band that sets up and made that first left turn through the trees and it turned out that it had just been i kind of had forgotten to account for how warm it had been and all of the base underneath the new layer of snow over the rocks had melted out quite a bit and there's some big voids in that and it all just collapsed underneath me and i 
tomahawked down the whole thing and kept going for a couple hundred feet of vert down below the cliff band. Like it was, I went for a long way on that. Had and a pretty seri- big ride like there. legit tomahawking. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many times I went over, but like well, eight or 10 at least, you know, yeah. pretty proper. And so, and I had this very distinct memory in the middle of that well upside down, like this one split second of going, something's not right in my knee here. And then very fuzzy again for several more tomahawks came to a stop sitting upright, facing downhill and didn't immediately hurt. But I also just absolutely could not send the signals to my left leg to move at all. Like my body knew that something was wrong and was not going to let me go anywhere with it. And so called ski patrol first guy showed up tried to ask me if i could glissade down from there i assured him that i very much could not do that and they got a sled in got me out of there anyway um and at the time the patrol's diagnosis was that i tore my acl you know they didn't do a lot to assess they were just kind of this is what happened yeah acl sounds right um did your skis come off in the tomahawking or they didn't stay on did they uh no, uh, both came off. One, the left one actually came off faster. So the leg that I hurt came off faster than the right one. And then the right one came off after another time or two over. But I did eject both of them. Yeah. And so as it turned out, I had, in fact, not torn my ACL, but instead had shattered my tibial plateau. So it's kind of the upper head of the tibia where it forms the lower half of the knee joint. And they grade those one to six based on kind of severity and how they come apart. And I pulled off a grade six high score, maxed that one out. And um, in short, so that took a 12 plus hour surgery and the installation of four plates and 40 some odd screws to bolt the whole thing back together. Uh, Spent pretty close to a month, barely able to get out of bed, was away from work for a while. This was before I worked for Blister and uh, subsequently kind of had to go through a pretty lengthy process of physical therapy and rehab just to kind of get range of motion back and get strength back and get everything working as I'd like it to after that. And um, mostly pretty far back to normal, lost a little bit of range of motion in the knee, but it's by and large pretty good these days. But I mean, for one thing, I had decent insurance at the time, but I still had a $8,000 out of pocket maximum like for the year. I like that we call so. this decent because that's a, that's roughly what mine is. And, and I was paying, my rates are just varied a little bit, I think, but I was back, I to, I've told my story, but I was paying about almost $600 a month and still had an $8,000 to $9,000 deductible. And we kind of call that decent. Okay. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, but you were, you're in kind of that ballpark. No, no, no. Uh, it's a good note. So, um, the total sticker price for the whole deal, ambulance ride surgery, a lot of physical therapy afterward was almost a quarter million dollars. So thankfully I was on the hook for, you know, the deductible about eight grand of that, but spot would have saved me that $8,000 right off the bat. But then the other thing that spot would have really helped out with was so this happened in april 2019 and by the end of the year i was riding a bike pretty well 
still kind of walking with a limp, could ski a little bit, but not well or hard and not in a way I was happy with. And so I was still going to physical therapy for it. And because this is the way our deductible system works, I had all of that reset when 2020 rolled around. And so up to that point, I'd hit my max for the year for 2019. PT was therefore free for the remainder of the year because I'd blown past that number by a couple orders of magnitude. But then it's 2020 again, and all of a sudden it's all reset. PT's once again coming full sticker price until I hit my max for that year. And so I had to kind of do this shitty cost benefit analysis of like, okay, well, I am still getting a return on PT. I'm not going to stop doing it, but it's also really expensive. Do I scale back and go in some, but not as often as I had been? How do I juggle that? And I did kind of make the call that, okay, so I'm going in twice a week. Maybe the move here is to scale it back to once a week, do some more work on my own time at home and kind of juggle these things and have this balance of, you know, the returns that I'm seeing on it versus how much it costs. But again, with spot, because it's tied to per incident rather than any kind or of annual year deal. reset. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it still just would have been covered and I wouldn't have had to think twice about it. And so it would have helped me out on that front too. Yeah. And so just to clarify a bit of this, I mean, the way that our blister plus spot insurance coverage works here is that if you are injured doing a number of what I kind of call mountain sports activities, if it's skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, kayaking, climbing, running, biking, whether that's mountain biking, road cycling, gravel riding, or bike commuting, and you can go to our website, we'll include a link in the show notes of this episode, um, that will get you all the information and show you exactly which activities are covered. It's a pretty robust list. But if you have this coverage, and in David's case, if he had had this at the time, it didn't exist at the time, but if he had had this, he gets hurt. And if he did not have any health insurance, he still would have received $25,000 uh, per incident or $25,000 of coverage to go toward med medical bills, ambulance rides, physical therapy, whatever. Now, in David's case, he just said his total tab ended up being $250,000. So here's the thing. If you have no insurance and you're listening to this, please get spot right now, like literally right now. It's the most cost-effective thing you can do to at least get $25,000 worth of insurance. But if you're in this boat that David is in and that I am in, in, et cetera, if you have health insurance, but maybe you have a high deductible, Spot will come in, cover that deductible. And then in David's case, if he had an $8,000 deductible, he then could have gotten, if my math is right, $17,000 worth of physical, necessary physical therapy work to continue to be on the mend and not have to sit there and think, well, I'm going to like scale back my, the physical therapy that I need because I don't have the money. So this is why we're so adamant about this, that spot plus standard insurance, however high your deductible is a very powerful tool. 
But seriously, if you're rolling with no coverage, this Blister Plus spot coverage is $399 for a full year. A full year. David and I are paying something like $500 to $600 a month for our insurance. And then we have these high deductibles on top of it. So check this out. See if it would make sense for you. But don't do the thing where you're just like, I'm not really going to worry about it. Take a few minutes and just figure out if this would help you out and how much it might help you out. Does that seem all right, David? What else would you add to that? I think that's covered it pretty well. I mean, it would have both saved me a lot of money and made it feel like I didn't have to at least consider skimping on my PT to keep going. So yeah, two pretty big points right there. And man, that whole like either not going to get physical therapy or cutting way back on physical therapy. We're hearing this story more and more. Our reviewer, Dylan Wood, is telling a similar story that happened to him this season, early season skiing, same situation there. And so anyway, folks, that's why we are talking about this quite a bit. It's why we care about it. And um, at a minimum, go get real clear on what you are covered for or what you would have to pay for if something happened to you and what you wouldn't. And then check out this Blister Plus spot thing. We've got a link in the show notes and uh, check it out and um, sign up if it makes sense. And the fact is for most of you listening to this, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. So um, that's that. Okay, switching gears, David. Let's... uh, Talk for just a second about what we're celebrating this week. Um, I had a couple things in mind. Um, Maybe the first thing I should say is that, in fact, you are, I mean, almost coming up on, oh my goodness, three years later? You're feeling good? (laughs) But yeah, it's been a process. Uh, Coming up on four years later, actually. But yeah. Um, Yeah. No, feeling good. don't think about it for a second on the bike. Can't quite jump off stuff on skis the way I used to, but other than that, I'm still getting after it. So can't complain too much. Doing yeah. pretty well. Well, I'm glad to hear that and we'll raise a glass to that, even though it's been four freaking years. Um injuries suck. Um you know what? I am gonna go out of our normal mountain sports range. Um I want to raise a glass to Pele because this dude really still is arguably the greatest soccer player of all time. And what a remarkable person by so many accounts, let alone the talent on the field. And um, I know the entire football world, I guess, as we say, has been celebrating him, but I think especially for, for younger people, um, who, you know, for whom Pele is a pretty distant memory. Um, it's pretty hard to overstate his enormous impact. Um, this was the Michael Jordan, you know, of the, the soccer world. Um, you know, I mean, except he was before Jordan. And, uh, so anyway, Pele, what a talent, what a person, what an ambassador for the game. And I think that's worth raising a glass to. Um, one other thing that you and I were just talking about, David, I need to raise a glass to Damar Hamlin. 
So DeMar is a defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. Some of you, maybe like David and I, uh, were both watching that evening football game when DeMar went down on a football field and his heart was stopped. And I was actually, I texted Cody about 10 minutes into Tamar being down. And I was just like, did we just watch someone die on a football field? And I thought that we either had or that Damar was now a vegetable. I thought it was one of two outcomes and I did not think there was a third possibility. And um, the fact that he seems to be on a, well, I mean, it already, what, whatever, if he makes no further progress than right now, the fact that he is out of the hospital and fully communicative is a miracle. And, um, you know, uh, I'd like to just raise a glass to him. And uh, it is astounding so far. I mean, we talk a lot in backcountry about like if someone's caught in an avalanche, right? And they have maybe 10 to 15 minutes before its chances of survival get real low. And for him to be unresponsive to CPR for 10 minutes, unresponsive to CPR for 10 minutes and be mounting this recovery is extraordinary. So couldn't be happier, never been happier to be wrong about something. Um, and uh, so I think that's what I've got for this week. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I had the exact same thought of like, did I just watch someone die on live TV? And uh very glad that that was not the case and that he's on the mend, at least to, you know, a far greater extent than we probably expected. So here's to tomorrow and here's to hoping that that continues. Here, here. I should say too, by the way, since we like to talk about what we're sipping on, in my hand, I've got this American small batch whiskey from Leopold Brothers. Have you ever had Leopold Brothers, David? I haven't. And in fact, had not heard of them until you yeah. brought them up earlier here. This Leopold Brothers is actually a Colorado distillery. I believe they're located just outside of Denver. And I've been hearing a lot of things about them with some people that I trust very much say that these folks are just really on point. And so um, I'm, I'm doing research. I'm doing research. And um, this is a very, very easy drinking whiskey 43 percent barreled in fall 2019 and um this one's just nice and easy and um so far so good so that's what's in my glass that i am currently raising to david golay's recovery pele's incredible career and life and an improbable recovery of damar hamlin so i think that's what we're celebrating this week Pretty good list. I like it. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, I will let you go. Thanks for sh telling your story once again. For those who don't know, David will be coming out to our Blister Summit. That's going to be the first time you and I have ever skied together, which I'm looking forward to. We've ridden bikes, but we haven't been on skis. And uh, so very much looking forward to that. So am I. It's going to be great. Very excited. And uh, just a month away now. So coming right up. All right, man. Hey, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. 
And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Alex and Matt for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And yes, J-Bob will be at the summit, as will David Golay, as will blister reviewer paul forward i mean i can just go on as will chris davenport as will wendy fisher as will hoji and we got some more surprises coming for you soon so check out the blister summit and come join us check out this blister plus spot membership if you don't already have basically a zero deductible on your insurance and then Become a Blister member if you aren't already and come shop it up with us this coming Wednesday on the Blister Happy Hour. More information for that can be found on our website. Just go to the member clubhouse section and then hop on live with us and let's chop it up. All right, folks, that's it. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Go get out there. Bye.